Welcome to Reader, I Murdered Him, a real podcast about fake crimes. Every week, I'll tell you about one of my favorite books, but like it's true crime. This podcast isn't spoiler-free, so listen at your own risk. While summer this season might be lingering on for a few more weeks, those summer feelings are just about over as school starts here in the Midwest in just a few days. And in an attempt to hold on to that summer feeling just a little longer, today on the podcast, we're going to take a trip. That's right, today we're island bound. But this island isn't one with sandy beaches where you can sip on sugary drinks served in novelty cups while watching the waves. It's probably better you don't let your guard down at all on this little island, because if the locals don't get you, the dead things will. Today we're heading to Clifford Island to uncover the mystery of why it feels like time has stopped on this little island off the Wisconsin Peninsula and why the island locals never seem to leave. Is it simply a small town filled with loyal lifers who can't imagine living anywhere else? Or are the rumors true, and living on Clifford Island comes with the unspoken rule that you never leave because the island needs you? I'm Risa P, and today we'll be uncovering the truth of the legend of Clifford Island. Have you heard the story of Mother Oka? Probably only if you grew up on Clifford Island. But for Clifford Island children, Mother Oka was a bedtime story staple. While the exact text is almost impossible to find outside of Clifford Island, here's an approximation passed down through word of mouth from island locals themselves to us here on the outside. Once upon a time, there was a child who had a stuffed dog, and she loved that stuffed dog. She carried it around with her everywhere she went, wouldn't go to sleep without it at night, carried it everywhere from doctor's appointments to church to the grocery store. She even stuffed it inside her tiny toddler-sized backpack on her first day of preschool. She carried that dog around with her until its fur wore thin and she began to grow up but she still loved that dog and took care of it and kept it in a special place in her room, even when she was too old to need it with her at school or the doctor's office. And Mother Oga saw that she still loved her dog. And so Mother Oga left the little girl alone. But the little girl had a neighbor and he was the same age and he had a stuffed bear that he loved. But as he grew up, he no longer loved the bear. He let it wear out, and then he shoved it in a bin with other old toys that got pushed to the back of his closet as he made way for new things. And Mother Oka saw that the boy no longer loved his bear, and that the bear was no longer in his room. 
And so Mother Olga came for the boy in the night and dragged him away to her house, where he was never seen by his family or friends again. Now, there are some variations in the telling as to what Mother Oga actually is. Some say she's just an old woman who doesn't want to see the children of Clifford Island grow up. Other tellings say she's a demon. Others that she's a person, but an evil one, and a taxidermist, who turns children who don't love their stuffed animals forever into stuffed children for her own personal collection. The original intended origins of Mother Oga are unknown, but whatever she is, it's clear her story is meant to teach the children of Clifford Island a lesson. It's not unusual for a community to use scary stories or legends to keep children in line. Just think about fairy tales. Even the Bible, a book that isn't considered a legend by many, uses tales of violence and distress to encourage its adherents to follow certain laws and rules of behavior in their everyday life. So Clifford Island has some strange myths, and so they've taken those myths and gone through the process of illustrating them, laying them out, producing them as children's books, and distributing them throughout every home and elementary classroom on the island. At this point, all we can say is that Clifford Island takes their island culture very seriously, and is, perhaps, veering into cultish territory. But the story of Mother Oga by itself isn't enough for us to accuse the residents of Clifford Island of engaging in anything disturbing. However, as we continue our exploration of the myths and legends of Clifford Island, we'll see that Mother Oga isn't the only strange story residents of Clifford Island are intent on passing down to the next generation. And by comparison, it's probably the tamest. Clifford Island isn't just a place with a penchant for terrifying bedtime tales. It also has a strange history of more notorious happenings, like regular disappearances of its citizens, usually followed by a clever cover-up by the island hierarchy. And the fact that Clifford Island has censorship powers that would put the press office of the British monarchy to shame? Ever wondered why you haven't read stories in the national mainstream news about Clifford Island, its strange rituals, or its frequent disappearances? That's because Clifford Island's power isn't limited to the small ruling body of elected and respected local leaders. It extends all the way to the U.S. mainland. News outlets that try to cover stories about Clifford Island suddenly nix articles or remove them from their websites. Photos are taken down and erased. Visiting reporters are put off as soon as they set foot on the island by a barrage of uncooperative locals and an island that doesn't seem to have a single hotel or Airbnb rental unit available. If you want to learn about Clifford Island, you have to do an internet deep dive. And the places where you'll find things written about Clifford Island wouldn't exactly be considered reliable sources. But maybe that's what allows them to continue to share the true stories of Clifford Island with the rest of the world because the powers that be on the island know no one will take them seriously.
The disappearances on Clifford Island started in the 1990s. At first, it was just individual people, nothing that couldn't rationally be explained away. Ships could go out in the lake and not come back. The island was small, and sometimes when someone wanted to leave, they wanted to leave it all. They took the ferry and didn't tell anyone where they were going. It happened. But on June 17, 1994, something happened that would change Clifford Island in ways no one would ever expect. The events of that day took Clifford Island from a small island town to a living urban legend. But we'll come back to that, because our episode today is about one specific missing person. And for most of her life, Willow Stone had no connection to Clifford Island. She didn't even know it existed. So how did the island come to claim her as yet another of its victims? Or is the legendary evil of Clifford Island just an excuse to cover up the actions of a more mundane kind of evil? A person on Clifford Island who got so wrapped up in the stories they could no longer tell reality from their own imagination. Willow Stone worked as a teacher, the kind of teacher who always keeps snacks in her class for the kids she knows don't get breakfast or lunch at home, the kind of teacher who wins awards and gets mentioned in kids' college application essays. She was admired by her colleagues, held up as an example by her administrators, and trusted by her students. And Willow loved teaching just as much. She was in it for the kids. She loved watching young people learn and grow. She loved when they let her into their lives and shared pieces of themselves, like what they dreamed about doing when they got out of school. But even more than her students and her job, Willow Stone loved her family. Her husband and her young son were the heart of her life. Anytime she talked about them, she would light up. And that was all she needed to be happy. Her small but cozy house, her husband, her son, and work that made her feel fulfilled. It wasn't a glamorous life. There were plenty of late nights feeling frazzled while grading or working on a lesson plan that just wasn't going over the way she hoped. There were nightmares that kept her up with her son and left her feeling exhausted. There were spats with her husband about the little things when they were both tired and overwhelmed. But it was the kind of life Willow felt content with. She didn't want much. And this was everything she wanted. And then there was the accident. The kind of accident out of every parent's worst nightmares. Willow's son was playing in the yard, and his ball went into the street. A car came down the road too fast, with a driver who wasn't paying attention. There was nothing Willow could have done differently. It wouldn't have mattered if she'd moved faster. A dozen more lessons about looking both ways when you cross the street wouldn't have helped when a car sped around a blind turn with no warning. There was nothing Willow could have done. But that didn't matter. Not to Willow. In that moment, her world fell apart, and without the anchor of her son, the other pieces of Willow's life started to slide away too. She stopped caring about her job, 
got the names of her students confused, or didn't recognize kids she'd taught for years. And she cared about that, but not enough to pull herself out of the haze of her life. She still loved her husband, but being with him hurt. And his grief wasn't the same as hers. They struggled to find common ground. Where Willow's husband wanted to move, leave their house behind, and start over in a place without painful memories, Willow wanted to sit in that house, not changing a thing about her son's room, so she could wake up every morning with that bright spark of hope that he was just sleeping down the hall, even as reality came crashing back to her just seconds later. That spark of hope was enough for Willow. It became everything to her. And so she tended to her son's room with ritual madness. She laundered the sheets to keep them from getting musty, and then put them back on her son's bed, peeled back like he'd just gotten out of bed and headed downstairs for breakfast. She kept the posters at odd angles on the walls, like they'd been stuck up by a five-year-old who couldn't quite reach the top. Which they had been. She cleaned the room with a mania that made her husband ask if she needed to talk to a professional. But for Willow, this was therapy. It was the only way she had left to take care of her son. And then one day while cleaning her son's room, she finds the words Clifford Island scrawled on the floor. She doesn't know where they came from or how her son might have heard about Clifford Island, but none of that matters. Willow quits her job and makes a plan. She will move to Clifford Island and stay there until she gets answers. Her husband doesn't want anything to do with it, and they separate, their grief pulling them in different directions. Willow finds a job on the island as a youth counselor for the local parish, and even though she's not religious, doesn't even believe in God, the job is working with kids, and Willow knows she can do that. So she lies about her faith, gets a job, and moves to Clifford Island. What we know about Willow's time on Clifford Island is pieced together from letters she wrote to her husband. Letters that, for whatever reason, were never sent. As well as investigative work done by her brother Harper, who went to Clifford Island after Willow's disappearance to try and get answers. And while Willow's body has never been found, the local police have never investigated her disappearance. Harper is convinced the people of Clifford Island did something to his sister, and he's made everything he collected public. In a corner of the internet, Clifford Island representatives either won't find for a while or will consider obscure enough not to care about, so that other people can share their own stories of Clifford Island and the loved ones they've lost to it. As far as anyone can tell, Willow made it to Clifford Island and her work as a youth minister. She worked at Clifford Island's only church under Pastor Rita, the woman who unofficially ran Clifford Island. While Pastor Rita didn't have any official authority outside the church, decisions on the island weren't made until Rita signed off on them. People deferred to her judgment and her authority. She was the woman who made things happen on the island. 
And in her letters, Willow noticed some strange things. There was minimal cell service, which was to some extent to be expected on a small island. But the people on Clifford Island didn't even have cell phones. Willow could walk through the whole downtown, past moms sitting at benches on playgrounds and teenagers clumped together on the sidewalk, and not see a single smartphone. The teenagers were all engaged in some kind of collective 1990s nostalgia fashion, and the library seemed to have stopped getting funds for new materials sometime around the mid-90s. It didn't even stock DVDs, which by 2020 standards are already outdated technology. And at first, these things don't bother Willow because she is too lost in her grief to notice anything strange. But then her gut starts to get an unsettled feeling. She reports feeling like she's being watched. She finds footprints in the snow around her house, stopping at her bedroom window. The tone of her letters becomes more urgent. She is convinced something is going on on the island, and she's been brought in intentionally for reasons she doesn't understand. Willow talks about seeing things in the dark, like her son, not just memories of him, but him exactly the way he was before he was hit by the car, alive, well, and happy, beckoning for Willow to follow him into the forest that surrounded her house. But as Willow tries to investigate, she is shut down by every adult she talks to. Sometimes her questions get a sympathetic smile, and Pastor Rita, busy as she is, always seems to make time to talk with Willow. But it's not until Willow starts talking to the teens and youth group that she realizes there is something very wrong on Clifford Island. But before she can say what it is, the letters stop, and all trace of Willow has disappeared from Clifford Island and everywhere else. Clifford Island isn't the only island on the Great Lakes that has a dark history of disappearances. If you happen to do some digging online, you'll find that people have compiled a history of disappearances on these islands, and they all follow a pattern. At first, it's just a handful of missing people, fishing boats and hunting parties that don't return and are never heard from again. Then a larger group of people go missing, this time with no easy or rational explanation to explain away where they could have gone. Then, sometimes months, sometimes years later, the whole town will disappear in a Roanoke-style mystery. The indigenous people who lived on the islands long before European settlers moved in talked about a great evil that lived in these places. An evil that would wake at regular intervals and devour the living, going back to sleep only after it had satiated its hunger. And when the island was finally wiped out, it would move on to the next one. And Clifford Island was right in this chain. So, if you believe the stories, Clifford Island had already experienced the first two stages of disappearances. 
because not only had Clifford Island seen singular mysterious disappearances of individuals, but in 1994, a whole group of Clifford Island residents disappeared. It was not something adults on Clifford Island liked to talk about. In fact, many of them wouldn't even acknowledge it. But on June 17th of 1994, a group of Clifford Island kids went to the annual youth group sleepover at the church. The youth minister at the time was in charge of watching over them, and it was an event he'd successfully hosted for years. It was a Clifford Island tradition that everyone looked forward to. But on the morning of June 18th, when parents went to pick up their children, everyone who'd been in the church that night was gone, without a trace. Empty sleeping bags left laid out on the floor, no sign of where they'd gone. And Pastor Rita knew she had to provide answers for her congregation. And the story she gave them, as told in audio interviews by several Clifford Island residents who were there, was less an explanation and more like a sermon. Pastor Rita had spent hours digging through the Clifford Island archives until she found one first-person account from an island that had experienced the disappearances before. It was written by the single survivor of that island, who claimed he had been spared because his brother had been taken in the second wave of disappearances. He'd kept everything in their small hut house exactly the same as the day he'd disappeared, too shaken with grief to do anything else. And the evil had passed him by. He'd been able to escape. And Pastor Rita clings to this singular example and gives the people of Clifford Island a directive. The island will remain frozen in time so the evil won't come back and take out the rest of their children. They will keep the evil from waking up, and they will stop it on Clifford Island, eternally pausing it in its cycle. And the people of Clifford Island, their own loss still fresh enough to cloud their judgment and make them easily led, agree. They raise their remaining children with stories of Mother Oga. They teach them to cling to the past. Pastor Rita tells them they are soldiers against a great evil. They're living the way they are to save the world. But what does all this have to do with Willowstone? That's the story Harper traveled to Clifford Island to solve. If the evil on the island were really sleeping, how could it have taken Willow? And what were the dead things so many residents of Clifford Island claimed to be plagued with seeing? They're back from the dead loved ones who tried to lure them out of their homes and into the forest. Harper leaves Clifford Island without answers to these questions, just speculation and urban legends. However, one of the teens Willow taught, a girl named Lily, who leaned on Willow more than the others because her own mother had died when she was young, was able to get off Clifford Island and she shared many of her own experiences with Harper in an attempt to shed light on what was happening there. Including the moment she left the island, heading on a ferry to the mainland for college. She promised herself once she was out she'd never go back. Never even look back. But she does look back, just once. 
and she sees Willow walking from the tree line onto the beach, beckoning Lily back home. It's Willow, but it's not Willow. For years, her whole life up to this point, Lily had been convinced the adults of Clifford Island were suffering from some kind of mass delusion, that their belief in evil and dead things caused them to see things that weren't really there. But Lily had no doubt that Willow, this Willow trying to call her back home, was one of them, the dead things of Clifford Island. Unfortunately, this is the last record of Clifford Island available in Harper's account of what happened. There is no other information about the island, or Lily, or Willow, or anyone else. What happened to Willow remains a mystery. But if you have your own stories about Clifford Island to share, you are not alone. Thank you for listening to Reader, I Murdered Him. Today's episode was based on the book Dead Eleven by Jimmy Giuliano. I picked this book up off the library's new release shelf just by chance because I liked the cover, knew nothing about it going in, and ended up loving it. If you're a fan of urban legends or creepypasta horror, this book is exactly what you're looking for. The story is compiled in a found footage style through letters, text messages, interviews, and some first-person investigation. And the very last chapter will leave you thinking about Clifford Island even after the book is finished. It's not a beach summer read, so feel free to read it at any time of the year. If you like your book seasons to match your real seasons, this one does have snow. And as always... When you finish reading it, come join the book club on Goodreads to talk about it. If you want to stay in touch with me, you can find me on Instagram at the stay at home creative with underscores or sign up for monthly updates from the stay at home creative Substack. All of those links are in the show notes. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, rating and leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts and consider sharing it with a friend you think would like it too. Thank you again for listening, and don't forget to come back next week for another episode of Reader, I Murdered Him.
Salve, Mr. Lee.